Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masechet Kiddushin. Um, this is our sixth class, and today we are going to be reviewing Daf 39 to 45. Um, okay, Daf 39, we left off, uh, we left off last week speaking about um, the mitzvot, the commandments that have to do with living in Israel and the land in Israel. Uh, we were talking about orla. Uh, orla is that a, tr a fruit tree, the first three years, you cannot eat its fruit. Um, and we were talking about kilayim. Kilayim is uh, when you plant different um, um, species in the same Field. Uh, when the Torah talks about kilayim, it actually means a, a vineyard, meaning grapes and grain. Those are the two things that cannot be planted together. Um, so the Gemara tells us that um, some of the, that these two things do apply outside of Israel, even though all other mitzvot that apply to the land only apply in Israel. Um, and it is a tradition from Sinai, meaning in Hebrew we say halacha lemoshe misinai. It was a tradition um, that these apply outside of Israel. And if you're not sure, meaning if there's a doubt outside of Israel, so then it's permitted to eat it. Um, but if it's real, you're not allowed to, meaning it is forbidden. Um, as we said, kilayim, the mixing of species in a vineyard, meaning a vineyard plus a, plus, um, a grain, plus wheat, outside of Israel is only rabbinic in nature. But if you graph two trees together, that is real biblical um, kilayim, um, and that is forbidden even, in the, um, even outside of Israel. Um, same thing with animals as well. Um, if seeds are planted together outside of Israel, this is not forbidden, whereas in Israel, it would be forbidden. Um, and as we said, um, kilayim, meaning um, planting two different species um, in a vineyard in Israel, is not only forbidden, but um, forbidden to eat or forbidden to plant, but it's also forbidden to get any benefit from whatever grows uh, in that area. Um, the Gemara tells us that even in Babel, in Babylonia, Rav was careful to plant his vegetables separately. Um, and this seems to be a proof that Kilayim does apply outside of Israel. Again, ba Babylonia is outside of Israel. And the Gemara says, no, not necessarily. Maybe he just did it because it looked nice, um, or maybe it was easier to harvest that way, but not because it was he was being specifically careful um, about Kilayim. Um, the Gemara continues. So now the Mishnah on Daf 39 tells us, um, and it's actually fascinating that this daf uh, was right before Yom Kippur. Um, and the Mishnah tells us that if you do one mitzvah, um, then if you do one commandment, so then goodness will come for you, to you and you'll get long life and you'll inherit the land. And if you don't do a mitzvah, then you don't get all of these things. So the Gemara um, quotes a very famous 
uh, a very famous idea. Uh, it says that there are things that you get benefit for in this world and in the next world. Um, and it gives a whole list. This is actually part of our, our morning prayers. Uh, we say this Mishnah from Peah, uh, and it gives a list of all the things uh, that we get benefit and we get long life for. Um, and it seems to be a very specific list. So the Gemara is asking, how does our Mishnah not give a specific list? It says, if you do one good deed, you get long life. Um, but the, the other Mishnah says, no, it's specific things. Um, right, the, the list of things are honoring your parents, uh, doing good, kind, good deeds to other people, what we say, gmilut chasadim, hachnasat orchim, right, inviting people into our homes. Um, if you try to make peace between different people, and if you learn Torah, that's the list of good deeds that give you long life. So our Mishnah says any mitzvah. So the Gemara says, no. If you do one mitzvah more than your merits, right? If you remember, uh, as we went into Yom Kippur, um, many of the prayers talk about our sins versus our merits, right? The, the good things that we've done versus the bad things that we've done. So the Gemara says that if it's equal and you do one extra good deed, so then it's as if you've done all the good deeds and you get, you get benefit. Um, and, uh, again, if you have equal merit and sins, right? So then, uh, if it's one of these lists, one of these six things, so it'll put you over, right? And again, you will have benefit. Um, if you have more merits than sins, um, so then the Gemara tells us that any punishment that you deserve for the sins that you did, you'll get it in this world. So that in the next world, all you'll get is reward. Uh, and the, the idea is that the reward is better to get in the world to come because it is an eternal reward. Uh, this is actually, uh, this Gemara uh, is actually a, um, I, I would say is used as an explanation why we look around our world and we see uh, incredible people who are suffering. And, you know, many of us say, how could, you know, how could such good people suffer? Uh, so this Gemara is saying they're suffering now so that in the next world, they won't have any suffering. Um, for some people, that explains things. For others, it's still very difficult. Um, but I think it's an interesting way of understanding um, reward and punishment. Um, the Gemara tells us the opposite as well. If you have more sins than merits, uh, so then you'll get your reward in this world and you'll get your punishment in the next. Um, and from here, the Gemara gives a story. Uh, I think it's a famous story because uh, there's a, a famous um, mitzvah in the Torah. Uh, it says it's called Shiluah Haken, which means that if you... Um, if you want to take a baby, a chick or an egg or baby bird, um, you need to shoo away the mother before you take the chick, right? It's a, a, a type of, com it's compassionate. Um, but the Torah says that you'll get long life if you do this. Um, and it also says that if you honor your parents, you'll get a long life. Uh, the Gemara tells a story, a very sad story, of a child whose parents told them to do Shiluah Haken. 
So the child climbed on the ladder. They were listening to their parents. They were doing this mitzvah. And then the child falls off the ladder and dies. And it's a terrible story. Um, but the it's it's more than a terrible story because the Gemara says, wait a minute. These are the two mitzvot that God promises us long life. And this child does it. And where's the long life? Um, so the Gemara says, we're misunderstanding what does it mean a long life? And the Gemara explains that a long life means a long life in the next world, not in this world. Uh, it shows that we get reward in the next world, and it's not about this world. Again, I think these are uh, very difficult stories, and uh, I think for many of us, it, it doesn't answer uh, many theological and philosophical questions that we have, um, but it, it is a, a very important perspective. Um, so um, the Gemara, uh, another very important line that the Gemara, I mean, it's all important, but the Gemara says also, it's important to understand that if you think about doing, uh, if you think about doing a sin, um, you do not get punished. Meaning if you have intention to do a sin, but you don't do it, you do not get punished. You only get punished for actually doing a sin. Um, and the opposite is not true. Meaning if you think about doing a mitzvah, about doing a good deed, you actually get reward for thinking about doing it. Obviously, it's better to do it, um, but you even get a, you even get rewarded for thinking about doing it. Um, another fundamental concept is that a person who is a, what's called a shaliach mitzvah on their way or in the middle of doing a mitzvah, um, so then nothing bad is going to happen to that person. Um, this is. Um, this is why many people, when they go to travel, someone might give them a dollar and say, like, go give charity when you get to the next, when you land. Uh, the idea is that it should protect you uh, on your journey because your, your, your journey is to go give charity. Um, so that should protect you. Um, the, the Gemara says, um, so, but this child was on his way to do the mitzvah. Why did he die? Right? You say, you're saying that he, uh, is protected. Uh, the Gemara says, well, um, maybe he fell on the way down, so he already did the mitzvah, uh, or maybe the the ladder, I think this is also a fascinating idea, the Gemara says maybe the ladder was a broken ladder, and he shouldn't have been climbing on it in the first place, um, right? When we have a, an, a hazard, we're not allowed to put ourselves in harm's way. Right, we can't rely on a miracle to save us. Um, and uh, this is actually the, the story of the child. It was actually witnessed um, by Alicia Benavuya. This is um, who we refer to in the Gemara as Acher. Uh, this was a student, uh, a, a very wise uh, person, but they saw this happen and it actually broke his faith. Uh, and he said, like, I, you know, I can't, um, it, it led him astray. Uh, and he left, he left Judaism and um, it's a very tragic story. And therefore, uh, we refer to him as Acher, right? The other. Um, but it, it shows how powerful this story is um, because it's just such a, such a tragic story. Um, okay. Um, the, the Gemara and Daf 40 
gives us um, a story of another sage who runs away and doesn't sin, um, right? He was put in a position where he could have sinned uh, with, a, with a woman, with a non-Jewish woman who tried to seduce him and he runs away. Um, and the Gemara gives all these stories of sages with very strong wills um, and they don't give in to um, to seduction and they overcome their uh, their desires, their evil inclinations. Uh, I think this is meant to give us uh, some hope and inspiration to try to do the right thing, even when it's really hard. Um, we mentioned the list of um, things that if you do these things, you get a ben you get benefit in this world and the next world. So now the Gemara goes through each one. Uh, it talks about honoring your parents. It says that you will live long again in the next world. And it also says it'll be good for you. So the Gemara says not only will it be it'll it, not only will you live long in the next world, but it will be good for you in this world as well. Uh, meaning you get benefit in both worlds. Um, the same thing with doing uh, good deeds. Hasadim. Again, it has the idea that it will give you life in the next world and be good for you in this world. The same thing with all the other ones. It goes through the verses to show how you get benefit in this world and in the next world. Um, now, it's interesting that this statement doesn't have the mitzvah of shiluach haken, meaning of, of sending away the bird. Why doesn't it mention that? Um, so one explanation is that um, if something is, um, it seems that this is only good for uh, the bird or it's good for nature. So the Gemara says if something is good for God and good for people, um, if you do those things, meaning you do things that are good for other people, but also good in your relationship to God, that's called a good tzaddik, like a good righteous person. If you only do things that are good between you and God, but you're bad to people, that's called a, an evil tzaddik like an evil, righteous person, meaning it's not enough to only do one, you have to do both. Uh, it's important to understand that um, it's not only about our relationship to God, and it's not only about our relationship to people, um, we have to do both. Um, okay. Um, and uh, the, the, that Mishnah from Pe'ah says um, that there are perot, um, meaning there are fruits to uh, the actions that you do. What are these fruits? Um, this is like the ripple effect, right? There are positive effects that, that doing good deeds have on the world. Um, and the same thing with sins. If you do bad deeds, there's a ripple effect in the world as well. Uh, and this is a, a desecration of God's name. Um, as we said before, if you think about doing a good deed, you're rewarded as if you did it. Um, and if, right, again, um, um, but if let's say you had a bad thought and it did bring about some sort of effect in the world, um, so then that's like an action um, and then there is punishment for that. Um, the only exception about the thinking about bad things uh, that it doesn't count um, 
in general, that's true, except for idolatry. Uh, if you have in mind to do idolatry, uh, worshiping other gods, um, false gods, um, so then um, you will be, so then there is a punishment for that. Um, the Gemara talks about, and again, this was, it was very powerful to read this right before Yom Kippur. If we're talking about good deeds and bad deeds and merit and, uh, you know, and, and sin, um, the Gemara tells us that um, once a person does a sin, then it, it feels like it's already permitted to him. It's not that it actually is permitted to him, but it feels um, it feels okay, right? You do something once, you feel bad. You do something twice, you know, lightning doesn't strike you. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I guess it's not so bad. And you think it's okay. Um, and the, the Gemara tells us that it's interesting that you... I think the Gemara recognizes that people have desires, uh, and it's hard. Um, so the Gemara says that if you really need to sin, you have this great desire, it's better to do it in private so that it's not public, so that not everybody sees it. Um, if, let's say, you can't control your desire, it's better to, you know, dress in all black and go to another city and do it in private, meaning do it somewhere else where people don't know who you are. Um, but this seems to be problematic because the Gemara says this um, implies that you're hiding from people, but not from God, um, right? If you can't control it, um, so then what are you supposed to do? So the Gemara says, listen, if you can control it, so then you shouldn't be doing it in private and you shouldn't be doing, if you can control it, you shouldn't be hiding from anybody. Um, but if you can't control it, so then... Um, you do need uh, you do need to um, you do need to uh, you know kind of hide uh, and do something uh, privately if you can. Um, the Gemara tells us that God extends credit to people for their sins. Uh, the question is, what does that mean? Um, so it explains that that we're not punished right away. Um, right, but you know, uh, God gives us time to repent, to try to think about, um, try to think about um, what we've done wrong. Um, but if you do something that in Hebrew is called a chilul Hashem, that you're really um, de um, desecrating the name of God, um, so then that then you are punished right away. That's that's not okay. Um, the Gemara tells us that again, very powerfully, as we go as we went into Yom Kippur, um, it talks. But I think it's for the whole year. Uh, it talks about viewing ourselves as if we're fifty-fifty, right? We went into the the judgment day, um, hoping that our merits were greater than our sins. Um, but if you think of yourself as fifty-fifty, then it means every good deed that we do is going to help us tip the scales. Uh, and I think it's a, a very powerful message, right? Many times we think, oh, what's the, you know, oh, if I give a little, you know, a dollar here or a dollar there to charity, what, what does that do uh, in the grand scheme of things? And the Gemara says, no, every little thing that you do helps, uh, right? So to think of ourselves as really in that balance so that every little thing helps us 
right, helps tip the scale. And I think it's a, a very, a very important message. Of course, the opposite is also true, right? You, one could say, oh, what's the big deal? I'll just say something not nice about a person. Oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. No, if you're 50-50, it's going to tip the scales in the other way as well. Um, so be very careful. Um, in terms of judgment, the, the Gemara tells us that the world is judged as a majority of people, and a person is judged by the majority of their actions. Uh, so again, we there we are a sum of our parts uh, when it's when we we're dealing with uh, judgment. Um, and the last thing on this topic, uh, again, I think very famously, but very important to remember, right? The Gemara tells us that if a rasha a person who is evil all of all of his life, but does tshuva, repents on the last day of his life, it is accepted, right? Meaning God is always waiting for us to do tshuva. There's no such thing as too late. Um, and if a tzaddik, if a righteous person was righteous all their life, but rebels at the very end and regrets everything they've ever done, they lose all of that merit. So um, every act is powerful, um, and we should, uh, you know, be very careful with our actions. Um, okay, next, um, next Mishnah on Daf 40 tells us that if you learn Torah and Mishnah and act appropriately, so then it will help prevent you from sinning. Uh, if not, so then you're not part of society, right? If you're not learning if you're not acting appropriately, you're separating yourself. Um, you're separating yourself from society. So the Gemara explains that righteous people, um, they're like a tree that's planted, that's rooted in a very pure place, and they have leaves that are, you know, over an impure place. So you know, you cut off a few of those branches; those are seen as uh, the the suffering that we have in this world, uh, and then what's left is a tree that's completely pure. Uh, but evil people are the opposite, right? They're rewarded now, um, and they're punished in the next world. Um, now the Gemara asks, uh, I think, a, another very important question, right? Is it better to learn Torah or to do a good deed, right? Should you go out and do a mitzvah, or should you learn Torah? And the Gemara says it's better to learn Torah because it leads to doing good deeds. Uh, and I think not everybody reads that sentence to the end, right? The answer isn't it's better to learn Torah, period. The answer is it's better to learn Torah so that you learn how to be a good person and do good deeds. And I always, uh, you know, I say this often that it's important to recognize that, um, you know, it's it's not enough. Uh, it's not enough to... Um, to only do good deeds and not learn, and it's not enough to just learn and not do good deeds. So we have to do both of those things. Um, okay. Um, ah, and and the 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 Gemara the chapter ends by telling us right that the world or a person is not judged for not learning Torah, um, but we are judged for our deeds, right? Meaning we get rewards for learning and we get rewards for doing mitzvot. Um, and it's really important to do both of those things. And with that, we finished our first chapter, it's a very long chapter, um, and now we are going to begin the second chapter. 
Um, so on Dav 41, um, the Mishnah tells us that a man can, um, so a man can uh, betroth a woman um, himself or with an agent. Um, a woman can accept Kiddushin herself or through an agent. If you remember, we just discussed this idea of an of an agent, a shaliach. You can you can appoint a shaliach, an agent, to either accept or to give kiddushin. And finally, the the Mishnah tells us that a father can accept um, kiddushin for his daughter um, or through an agent. And now the Gemara is going to explain uh, what we've learned. So the Gemara says, um, it's a greater mitzvah if a man if a man does it himself um, rather than through an agent. Um, or another opinion is no, um, he can't use an agent if he can do it himself, right? So this is very interesting when we're talking about shlichut, when we're talking about agency, is it better to do it yourself? Does it not matter? Or can you not do it through a messenger if you can do it on your own? And that's the that's the machloket on this daf. Um, the Gemara says, no, um, the man should do it himself so he can see who he's marrying, right? Don't do it through the agent because you never know. Um, but, um, um, and also it's better for the woman to um, accept it, Kedushin betrothal for herself, but um, she could do it through an agent as well. As we know, um, a woman, uh, and this is a line that we've seen before and we will see again, um, a woman always prefers to be married and therefore maybe she's less picky, uh, according to this Gemara, um, right? A, a woman is always pref would always prefer to be married than to be alone. Um, okay, the father shouldn't betroth his daughter when she is a minor, a ktana, meaning under 12, but he can do it when she's a na'ara. Na'ara is between 12 and 12 and a half. So when, when she's between 12 and 12 and a half, he can accept kiddushin for her. Um, okay, let's talk about this concept of shlichut, um, of agency. So, right, it says, Vishalcha, a man sends away his wife. Um, this teaches, but it uses the word shaliach, right, shalcha, he sends her away. It teaches that you can use an agent to divorce his wife. Um, you can also use an agent for marriage, right, for kiddushin. As we've seen before in the last Masachet and in this Masachet, betrothal or marriage is connected um, to divorce. And therefore, just as in divorce, you can use an agent, so too um, you can do it for betrothal. Um, the Gemara tells us you can also use an agent to separate truma. Right? Truma is the gift that is given um, to the Kohanim, to the priest, um, and it needs to be done from your produce. Um, from your harvest, you have to take off. Um, so the, the, the agent has to take off what the owner would want. Uh, what's interesting about truma is um, there's no, it's not really a set amount. There's like being very generous, being regular and being 
less generous. So you have, you can give either 1 40th, 1 50th, or 1 60th of the harvest. Um, so if the, if let's say the agent doesn't know what to do, he should try to think what would his, uh, what would the, the owner want? Um, so um, the verse teaches us that the shaliyah can separate truma. Um, it could also be done by thought, meaning you could say, oh, the, those, you know, the wheat over there on the right side, that's going to be truma, even though um, you didn't eat physically separated. So this is very unique to truma. Um, and um, there's a special verse that teaches, again, that you can use an agent and that you can do it by thought. Um, you can also, since, since we're talking about agency, the Gemara talks about other times we see this. Um, we actually learned this in Masechet Psachim, that you can appoint an agent to slaughter the Korban Pesach, um, and, right, and other uh, sacrifices can, all, right, in general, sacrifices are done through agency, right? The priest is our agent, um, and... Um, the Gemara says all of these cases are important um, to have a verse for each one of them because each one of them has a unique aspect. Um, again, truma um, and sacrifices, those can be done with thought. Um, and the Gemara tells us that the, the agent needs to be Jewish. Um, a non-Jewish slave cannot be an agent. Um, however, a non-Jew can separate truma and there's a special verse that teaches um, that that he can't be an agent. Um, business partners cannot separate truma for each other. You have to do it yourself. Again, there's a special pasuk, a special verse that teaches that an agent, if you send someone to do it, they can do it for you. Um, Duff 42 tells us um, that all of Israel can be um, can uh, fulfill their obligation with one um, korban Pesach, with one sacrifice of the Pesach, um, even if they don't eat the meat. Uh, and again, this works through agency. Um, okay. Um, the, the, the Gemara tells us also that the land was divided up, Eretz Israel, the, um, Israel was divided up also through agency. Um, each uh, head of the tribe was an agent for the whole tribe. Um, and the Gemara says, no, um, it wasn't that they were an agent, but rather they were, um, they were acquiring something for their entire tribe. Um, okay. Um, from here, the Gemara talks about um, acquiring something for an orphan, uh, because they're talking about um, doing something for the benefit of someone. If you do something for the benefit of someone, um, you can do it even without their consent. Um, and the Gemara always talks about um, how do we define benefit, making, making sure that something is beneficial for them is very important um, to understand if something is beneficial for them or not. Um, the Gemara at the bottom of Duff 42 um, teaches us that we were talking about shlichut, agency, that you can send people um, to do something for you. It's very important to understand. Uh, in Hebrew, the, the sentence is, in shlichut ledvar avira. There is no such thing as agency for a sin, 
Meaning, if you send someone to do a sin, that does not work. Meaning, they can't say, we were just following orders. Uh, it does not work in Judaism. The agent gets punished and not the sender, right? If I say, go kill some so-and-so, and you go kill so-and-so, you killed so-and-so. Um, so you get punished, and I don't, um, because I didn't kill anybody. Um, but uh, it's not good for me to do. Um, but the point is that the, the the person who does the killing is the one um, who gets punished. Um, interestingly enough, the only different, the only exception is with what's called mi'ilah. Um, we've learned this before, mi'ilah, not mi'il like a coat, but mi'ilah is um, when you misappropriate a, a sanctified item, right? Something that was set aside for God, for the temple. If you take that item for yourself, um, that's called mi'ilah. Uh, I guess you can call it stealing from God. Um, this is the this is the only place where we see that um, if if I send you to do it and you do exactly as I say, so then I, the sender, gets punished and not the agent. Um, this is learned from a specific verse, um, and that is the that is the exception to the rule. Um, there's another exception to the rule, um, and that is a. Um, that is a custodian. Um, Beit Shammai say that a custodian is liable even if he thinks about misappropriating an object. This also seems to be unclear because we said thinking about something doesn't give you get you punished. Um, Beit Hillel say no. Um, but um, the the Gemara then comes up with another uh, another case. Da forty three that if someone steals an animal and then slaughters it or sells it, um, they are liable, even if it's done through an agent. So again, here we see that agency does work and it's the sender that um, is punished and not the agent. Um, another case is where, these are all of course exceptions to the rule that we just stated. Um, the, a person is liable if they sacrifice an animal outside of the temple, um, again, but not the agent. Um, and these are all exceptions to the rule, um, but uh, the rule is still the case, meaning in general, um, if you send someone to do a sin, um, it is the agent that gets punished um, but, and not the person who sends them. Um, the the Gemara talks about um, again. I mentioned the case of of killing of sending someone to kill someone. Um, it seems that the lot the sender is liable um, and uh, and not the the agent. Uh, the Gemara talks about the case of David of King David who sends Bathsheba's husband Uriah to the battlefield, uh, and he subsequently gets killed. Uh, and it's interesting because David is not the one who physically kills him, but he does get killed. Um, the Gemara says, um, again, do we see David as being liable for this? Uh, if yes, then we see that uh, the sender does get punished and not the agent. And then the Gemara says, no, um, as we said, it's the agent that, that is the one that gets punished. However, you are liable in the heavenly courts, meaning you, have, you obviously didn't do the right thing, um, but in the 
reports down here, you are not liable. Um, the Gemara says, um, well, maybe again, maybe David, King David, wasn't punished for this for Uriah's death um, because he deserved it. Um, he was he rebelled against the king. He didn't listen to David when he told him to go home, um, and therefore he was not punished. Um, there's a machloka if the agent can also be a witness to the act. Uh, again, right? If you send an agent to go do something, go and betroth this woman for me. Can that agent now come and say, "Oh, I witnessed that she was betrothed because I was the one who did it." Um, so the Gemara says, on one hand, it's very strong because the actual person who did it is the one who's testifying about it. Or no, um, the agent is like the sender, right? Again, uh, there's another statement, right? The, if you send a, a, an agent, they're an extension of you. Uh, and if they're an extension of, of the, the person who sends, right? If, if they're an extension of you, so then they can't, you can't testify about something that's about you. So uh, therefore the agent as an extension of the sender cannot be a witness. That was a lot of words, but <laughs> that's basically the idea of uh, if if the agent can be a witness or not. Um, so we bring a, a case, uh, right? If a person tells three people to go and betroth the woman, one is the agent and two are the witnesses. This is according to Beit Shammai. This seems to prove that the agent is not the witness, right? Because it's, he separates them. Beit Hilal say they're actually all agents and they, none of them can be witnesses. Uh, so it seems that Beit Hilal and Beit Shammai both agree that the the agent cannot be the witness. There is uh, another source that says that BHMI say if two people were sent, then one is the agent and both are witnesses. This seems to apply that BHMI say that he can be the agent. Uh, the agent can be a witness, and Beitila says with three, one is the agent and two are the witnesses. Uh, and the Gemara tells us that the law is that the agent can be the witness. Again, it's the strongest witness because he's the one who actually committed, who actually did the act. Um, let's say a person tells two people, since this is what we were talking about, you tell two people, go and betroth this woman. Um, they are both agents and witnesses. So that shows that it's okay. Um, so too in divorce and in monetary cases. Uh, the Gemara explains that if you are uh, paying back a loan and you send two people to go repay the loan, they are the mess, they are the agents and they can be the witnesses. Um, in general, you don't need witnesses to say that you repaid a loan. Um, therefore, here it's okay to send these agents um, and they can be witnesses. Um, but um, if the right um, the age, but if the agents are partial, because sorry, the Gemara says, but wait a minute, how could this work? The agents are, you know, they 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 have a, a stake in it because if they say that they return the money to the borrower, um, so then they, someone would have to take an oath, and if they say they paid it. So then they wouldn't have to take an oath. So it seems that they have vested interest here. Um, so the Gemara explains that there's a, another oath that they could take. 
Um, and therefore, um, it is okay that they are agents and witnesses. Um, a father, so we mentioned that the father can accept betrothal for his Na'ara daughter, right, between 12 and 12 and a half, um, and he can accept her get, right? And there's a machloket if only the father or also the daughter can accept it. So the Gemara tells us that for divorce, it brings her back to her father. Um, he or she can accept it. Again, this is only if she is not an adult. If she's an adult, she does all of her accepting and doing. Um, but if she is a ktana, if she is a na'ara uh, or under, right? If she's under 12 and a half, then the father does it. Um, so for betrothal, which removes her from her father, right? Only the father and not and not she herself can accept it. Again, she's below, she's younger than 12 and a half. Um, because she's going in divorce, because she's going back to her father's house, therefore he's okay with her accepting the get. But with Kiddushin, she's leaving his domain, his reshut. Therefore, um, only he can accept Kiddushin for her. Um, but with Ma'amar, if you remember, Ma'amar is the betrothal of the Yavam, right? Remember, if a, a woman is married to a man and they don't have children and the husband dies, she needs to marry the brother, right? This is called Yibum. Um, the beginning of that process is called Ma'amar. That's like betrothal, but in the Yibum process. So when the brother does Ma'amar, which is Kidushin, betrothal to the girl, um, if she's a Na'ara, if she's between 12 and 12 and a half, um, she can accept it alone without her father's consent. Um, da 44 tells us, um, there, what's the reason, right? The reason is that Kiddushin, a betrothal, needs to be done with her consent. Remember, we learned that you cannot betroth a woman without her consent. Um, therefore, the father can accept it because he needs to ask her if this is what she wants, because if it's not what she wants, he can do whatever he wants. It doesn't work. She has to consent. But for a get, which could be done against her will, therefore she or her father can accept it. Um, with Ma'amar, if he does it against her will, what if the father accepts it against her will? Again, Ma'amar is when the Yavam, the brother, says he wants to betroth the, the the widow, right, his his um, deceased brother's wife, um, if he does it against her will, so then, if again, if the father accepts it against the girl's will, there's a machluket if it works, right, meaning yibum um, could be done against her will. Of course, we learned in Masecha Yivamot that that's not done, but technically, it could be done. Um, so is it like yibum, meaning is it like the marriage, um, and therefore the betrothal could be done against her will? Or is it like regular betrothal, like kiddushin, which has to be done with her consent, and therefore um, it needs her consent? Um, the Gemara tells us that Ma'amar is unique because she's already bound 
to the Yavam. If you remember, as soon as the brother dies, there's a relationship between her and the brother, right? It's called a Zika, if you remember. Um, therefore, it's not like regular Kiddushin, um, and therefore, if the father accepts it um, without her knowledge, it could work. Um, okay, the next Mishnah will tell us, we didn't learn it yet, but it's quoted in our Gemara, that if a man says, be betrothed to me um, with this date, and he gives her a date, like the, the fruit, not the date, not calendar. Uh, right? He gives her the, a date, and he says, be betrothed to me, and then he gives her the date, and then he says it again, be betrothed to me with this date. So um, each one, at least one of those dates needs to be worth a pruta. Um, but we see it as two separate statements. Um, and therefore, it's, it's, it needs to be of a certain value. Um, okay. Uh, and with this, the Gemara tells us that our Mishnah is like Rabbi Shimon, who separates these statements. Um, and he agrees with Rabbi Huda about agency. Uh, the law is that um, that there is a difference between divorce and betrothal uh, for the girl to accept it or not, meaning the father can always do it. The question is, can the daughter do it as well? Um, can the father make the na'ara, meaning the, the daughter, an agent to accept her own get? Right now, again, she he's the only one who can accept it. Can he make her the agent to accept it? Right? Is she like an extension of the father, um, and therefore she could accept it? Or no, uh, that she's not like the father and can't accept it. Um, so the Gemara says, yes, she can be an agent for her father to accept her own get. Uh, it seems a little complicated. Um, so I agree, it is complicated. Um, now, the next question is, can she appoint another agent? Um, the Gemara says, no, she does not have the ability uh, meaning she's not a strong enough agent to um, to uh, assign another agent, all right? If she doesn't have, uh, let's say she doesn't have a father, she can appoint an agent, or even if she does have a father, um, can, um, even if she has a father, she can appoint another agent. That's another opinion. A ktana, right? So this was a na'ara between 12 and 12 and a half. However, a under 12-year-old, that's called a ktana, a minor, cannot appoint an agent. Um, and again, as we said, the na'ara, if she has a father, she cannot appoint it. If she doesn't, then she can. Um, the ktana, under 12, cannot accept kidushin. Um, and if she does, without the consent of her father, um, what happens? Um, the Gemara says she has to get a get. And she has to do miun, right? Miun was um, where uh, she can just walk out of a relationship if that relationship was only a rabbinic marriage and not a biblical marriage. Um, so what, what does this mean? Um, so the Gemara explains, she needs a get. Now, again, her father is alive. She accepted betrothal. Um, without his consent. Now, we don't know what the father wants. So the Gemara tells us 
you need a get in case the father would have consented to that marriage. And you need miyun, right? She has to do miyun, meaning she leaves the relationship if the father doesn't consent, because then it wasn't a biblical marriage. It was only a rabbinic marriage. And we don't want people to think that it was a real marriage and divorced. Um, or another opinion is you don't even need miyun because it was not a real marriage. Okay, last daf for today, daf 45. Um, a father can only sell or betroth his daughter once. We learned this uh, in the last chapter. Um, if um, he, let's say, marries her off and then she's divorced or widowed, she does not go back to the father. Um, the, the phrase in the Gemara is yitoma b'chaye aviha, right? She's like an orphan whose father is still alive, meaning she does not go back to his uh, domain. He does not have the right to sell her or um, betroth her to somebody else. He can only do it once. Um, and therefore, um, if she gets married, she can do miyun, um, even though the father is still alive, because it's only a rabbinic marriage, because she, again, she is a minor. Um, okay, let's say the ktana, again, the under 12, accepts kiddushin, betrothal, without her father's knowledge, and then the husband died. So now she has to do yibum, but we don't know if she's really married. So she has to do miyun, um, to, um, she has to do miyun, if the Yavam, the brother, does ma'amar. So just to remind us, the Yavam does ma'amar, that's his betrothal to her. She does miun, which means she rejects him. Um, and she needs a get, because maybe um, the father, maybe the father would agree. Uh, again, maybe when the brother did ma'amar, this is really kedushin because the father didn't want her to marry the first brother, but wants her to marry the second one. So then she would need a get because then she would be um, really betrothed to the second one. She needs miyun because maybe the father didn't want her to be married at all. So she, then she just walks out and she needs to do chalitza because maybe her father wanted her to be married to the first one uh, and therefore... Um, they need to do yibum, but she doesn't want to do yibum, so she does chalitza. If this is bringing up memories from Masechet Yivamot, uh, you should, uh, um, you're right. Uh, this is all from, from Yivamot, but it, uh, it's an interesting perspective because now we're doing it from the perspective of um, the father and the, cha and the girl having the ability to accept betrothal um, with or without his consent. Uh, again, this is only in the case of her being a minor, right, and and not having the ability to do it on her own. Um, okay, let's say he didn't do ma'amar. Again, uh, the daughter, the minor girl, uh, the girl under 12 accepts kiddushin from a, a man. Then he dies. Uh, this is all without her father's consent. And then the brother does not do ma'amar. So then she only needs to do chalitza, again, because maybe the father would have consented to the first, uh, to the first um, marriage. Um, the father, let's say the father is willing to marry off his daughter. Um, sorry, the Gemara says that uh, in general, a father is willing to marry off his daughter, right? We've seen that it is a, it, it's a, business deal, it's a, okay, anyway, it's the right that he has, but the son is picky, 
uh, and therefore his father um, does not have the right to marry him off without his consent, uh, which is very interesting to see the difference between sons and daughters. Um, let's say uh, the Gemara gives a case of a man who uses who used these very cheap vegetables to betroth a minor in the shuk, meaning in the marketplace, without the father's consent. Um, the the Gemara says this is not valid um, because it was done in a degrading manner, right? Whether it's the fact that he gave her spoiled vegetables or he did it in public, um, either way, it does not matter, uh, and it is not um, it is not valid. Um, the Gemara gives a story. Uh, there's a mother and a father, and they disagree whose relative is going to marry their daughter. Right, she wants her relatives to marry the daughter. He wants his relatives to marry the daughter. And eventually, right, they argue, argue, argue. Um, eventually, the mother uh, wins the argument. The father agrees that um, the daughter can marry the mother's relatives. So they make a party, um, and the father's relative like sneaks up to the attic and betrothes the girl in in private. Um, again, the girl is a minor. Um, the Gemara tells us this is invalid because even though we know that originally the father wanted her to marry his relative, um, because he concedes to the wife, um, we assume that the father would not consent to this marriage um, because he already agreed with his wife um, or because they already made this big party um, and he would not want the daughter married to somebody else. So it is invalid um, and the daughter marries the wife's relatives. Um, a minor became betrothed to somebody uh, who was a Kohen, a priest, with the consent of her father. Okay, so betrothal with consent. Then the father went off traveling on a business trip, and then she got married to the guy without the father being there. So now the Gemara asks, can she eat truma? Um, one opinion is she can eat truma, right? Again, truma is because her husband is a Kohen, um, so the marriage is valid till the father comes back, um, because maybe he'll disagree about the wedding, or no, she can't eat truma till her father comes back and allows the wedding. Um, the husband doesn't inherit, the, in this case with the, with the Kohen, the husband doesn't inherit the minor's property if she dies, because we don't know if the father consented to the marriage. What's interesting is that he already consented to the betrothal, so why he would not consent to the marriage is not clear to me, um, but I guess because he doesn't, uh, he didn't technically consent, uh, it's as if there's no consent given. Um, however, if the father knows about the marriage and didn't say anything, um, is it seen as consent, right? In, in general, in, in halacha, in Jewish law, there's a phrase, shtika kehoda'a. Hodaya, hodaa, right? Meaning, um, if I'm silent, right? If you say, do you want to go for ice cream? And I don't say anything. My assumption, the assumption is I agree with you because if I disagreed, I would have said, no, I don't want to go for ice cream. So if I'm silent, it means I agree. So that's consent. Or maybe here the father knows about the marriage and he's so angry, he doesn't have even any words to say. He's so mad about it. Um, so again, if he's mad about it, she can't eat truma. If he consents, she can eat truma. 
Um, let's say she got betrothed and married without consent of the father. Again, we're talking about the minor, um, but the father is around, meaning he didn't go on a business trip. So then she can eat truma because again, he didn't protest. Um, or no, she can't eat truma because again, we don't know uh, we don't know what he is thinking. Um, with that, uh, we finish for today. Um, if you're tired, I don't blame you. And um, it, this was a very uh, exciting week of Daf. Um, and I want to wish everyone a, first of all, Shabbat Shalom. And a Chag uh, Sameach, Sukkot. It's very exciting. Be'ezrat uh, Hashem, we will meet on a regular time um, next Wednesday. Um, I wonder if I can do it from my sukkah. I don't know how my internet is, but uh, maybe I'll... Maybe I'll start in my sukkah, but my internet's not so good, and then we'll come back inside. Uh, but really w wishing everyone a wonderful holiday. Uh, I hope you enjoy, uh, and looking forward to our continued learning. So have a great night, everyone. No questions, huh? Oh, no questions? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat>